Well, good morning, everyone. If you're a guest with us at Fifth today and we haven't met, my name's John Sherrill. I'm one of the pastors at this church, and it's great to be worshiping with you uh, this morning. Uh, we're continuing a series in, uh, in the book of Isaiah for Advent, and this is the third in that series, and we're looking at Isaiah 11 today. Uh, but let's, let's pray together before we dive in, shall we? Pray with me. Lord, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that you have spoken to us through prophets and through your son. And thank you that you speak to us now by your spirit. And I pray, Lord, that you would speak to us now. Uh, help us hear you. We want to listen to you. We don't want to just know about you. We want to know you. So guide us, God, by your spirit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, it was really by God's guidance that the prophet Isaiah foretold the coming of a, a Messiah in the future, an anointed rescuer. And of course, for those of us on this side of the cross, we know that that person was Jesus. And just as was promised long ago, Jesus actually arrived at that first Christmas about 2,000 years ago. And the scripture has also promised that Jesus will return. So in the season of Advent, we think about his first coming, but we also hope to grow in anticipation and longing and, and focus on his second coming, which has been promised and will happen. We set our hearts on that in Advent. And so far in this series, we've looked at Isaiah 7 and Isaiah 9. In, in Isaiah 7, uh, King Ahaz, the king of Judah, faced uh, one, one of life's storms. Two other kings had teamed up against him and were trying to take him out to replace him with a different king who would be uh, uh, more amenable to their terms. And Ahaz uh, was confronted with a challenge because God said very clearly, look, Ahaz, these kings are not going to overpower you. It will not happen. So Ahaz faced a choice. Would he trust what God said or would he try to fix his problem on his own? And of course, we saw that he tried to fix his problem on his own. And in many ways, this is representative of of all of us. I mean, we, we leave God. And when we leave God, we get problems, not freedom. Now, that's a very uh, a, a general human condition, right? We, we all can feel like Cain did after he killed his brother Abel. Because of that sin, he was a restless wanderer on the earth. And, and that is kind of the general human condition because of sin as well. We can feel restless, you know, missing that that deeper sense of peace or settledness. And we can feel like wanderers, like we uh, don't have a firm foundation, like we, we don't have uh, solid roots, you know, uh, uh, not, we're not feeling grounded. When we leave God, we get problems, not freedom. But in Isaiah 9, we saw that God promised to help us despite our leaving him despite our human condition, even though we choose our own way, even though we, we almost choose distress and, and darkness over God himself, God has said, nevertheless, there will be no gloom for those who are in distress. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. Oh, Jesus is the light of the world and he leads us out of that darkness. 
So if, if week one in this series was about the promise of a child, week two was about who that child would be. Remember that wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. And, and this week three is about what that child would do. So with that frame, let's listen to the scripture. The word of the Lord from the 11th chapter of Isaiah. A shoot will come out from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and of understanding. The spirit of counsel and of might. The spirit of the knowledge and fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears, but the righteousness he will judge, but with righteousness he will judge the needy, and with justice he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, with the breath of his lips he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt, and faithfulness the sash around his waist. The wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat and the calf and the lion and the yearling together and a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear. Their young will lie down together and the lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the cobra's den, and the young child will put its hand into the viper's nest. They will neither destroy nor harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Again, if chapter 7 was the promise of a child and chapter 9 telling us who that child would be, this then, what we just read, tells us what that child would do. And, And we get the first thing right off the bat. He will lead by the Holy Spirit. You know, the text says this, the spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord. The Holy Spirit will rest on this child and he will lead by the Holy Spirit. And and thus he will lead with God's wisdom and understanding and counsel and power and and, and all of that. The, The New Testament puts it this way. Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God, this child to come would lead by the Spirit and would become for us wisdom from God. Uh, One author I enjoy uh, kind of wondered in in writing whether Isaiah uh, got to this idea first and, and maybe the Apostle Paul, the morning he wrote his letter to the Corinthians, had Isaiah 11 as his daily Bible reading. Who knows, but but the point is, is this, Jesus did lead like that. He, he led by God's spirit. He, he came with God's wisdom and understanding and counsel and power 
And he helps us know God, not just know about him. He helps us revere God. That's what the fear of the Lord bit is about. It's about setting our hearts on uh, obeying and pleasing and, and glorifying God. The child promised by God would lead by God's spirit. And Jesus did that. And, and because of that, Jesus leads differently than the world. He's a different kind of leader. And this is really the second thing. He, the first thing, he'll, he'll lead by the Spirit. Second, he'll, he'll lead in a way that's different than the world. Remember what Jesus told his disciples? Jesus called them together and said, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for many. You know, this isn't just a different take on human leadership. This isn't a retooling of the worldly way. This is something entirely new. This is something completely different. Now, he will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears, but with righteousness, he will judge the needy. With justice, he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. Meaning, he won't judge on outward appearance, He won't make decisions based on rumors and hearsay. He won't be biased toward the rich and powerful. Instead, he will concern himself with what is right according to the unchanging standards of the one who is right. Thanks to John Oswald, the commentator, for that line. I mean, how how is this possible? How will he lead so differently? It's because this is who the child would be. This is his very makeup, his character. This verse captures it. Righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness the sash around his waist. Belt and sash. In Hebrew, there really aren't two words. The same Hebrew word is used twice, and we just chose to use two different English words to say the same thing. And the English words here really don't grasp the full meaning of the Hebrew word. The best English word to use would have been Underwear. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) Underwear. Undergarments. The, The implication being that righteousness and faithfulness are those things which are closest to Jesus. And when everything else is stripped away, he will do what is right and he will remain loyal and true. Why? Because that's who he is. You know, this is what the promised child would do. He would lead by God's spirit. And and he would lead in a a new kind of way, a a different kind of way, not just a, a rehash of how the world perceives leadership. And all of that would result in him inaugurating a completely different kind of kingdom. I mean, Isaiah's description of it is is breathtaking, isn't it? The wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf and the lion and the yearling together. And a little child will lead them. 
The cow will feed with the bear, their young will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the cobra's den, and the young child will put its hand into the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on my holy mountain, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. What an incredible vision. It's breathtaking. It's captivating. This vision of God's kingdom as uh, given to Isaiah and shared with us has prompted all sorts of artwork. Here's one of my favorites. It's called Peaceable Kingdom by John Swanson. And it begins to capture how all creatures will live in peace. No, No more disunity, no more conflict, no more hostility. I mean, the, the vision is captivating for its, for its otherworldliness, right? Because all of us read that vision and, and think about it, and, and at least this happens in me, I think, really? C- can it really be like that at some point? Because my world, the world I live in, is nothing like that. I mean, wolves eat lambs in my world. And the helpless are stung by cobras every day in my world. But but this is the kind of kingdom the child would establish according to Isaiah's vision. And of course, we know that, that that is the kind of kingdom that Jesus has inaugurated, has begun. And, and it has begun. Remember what Jesus said. The time has come The kingdom of God has come near. That that kingdom that Isaiah described by the vision God gave to him is the kingdom that is near to us right now. And and in the original language, that word near doesn't mean, you know, just a a couple years off. It doesn't mean, uh, you know, like down in Chicago about that far away. It, does, it doesn't mean across the parking lot. It means that kingdom is right here, literally within hand's length of your face. It's right here. The, the truly striking thing about the description of God's kingdom in, in Isaiah is, is not simply that there will be peace or a cessation of hostilities or unity where there had been division, something like that. The striking thing is in uh, the pairings. Did, did you catch that? Wolf and lamb, uh, leopard and goat, infant and cobra. The pairs are all opposites in the sense that one is an aggressive hunter and the other is completely helpless. I think that's very intentional. And sometimes the helplessness, like in the case of the infant, they're, they're so helpless that they're, they're naive to the fact that there even is a hunter or such a thing as aggression. And we, we see the aggressive taking advantage of the helpless every day in this world. I mean, power is abused in big ways and small ways, in intentional ways and unintentional ways. Social power, financial power, positional power. So much of the prophetic tradition in the Bible is about the misuse of power. 
and how that misuse of power both breaks God's heart and angers him. And, and lest we think to ourselves, yeah, those, those powerful people should get it right. They should stop messing up. That misses the point entirely because this finger can't point out there without coming right back here. Because no matter how we feel, like we might not have much power, there's always a continuum. There are always people more powerful than you, and you always have power over other people. And the larger point of the Bible is that as a follower of Jesus, one should never, ever misuse the power that you have over other people. In fact, the calling is not only to not misuse the power, the calling is to act as if that power dynamic does not exist and to use whatever power you have to help people who are less powerful than you. In fact, we should behave toward people less powerful than us as if there's no power curve at all, that there are only two categories, Jesus and all the rest of us. And that's the promise of God's kingdom. That day will come when God is all and all and we all gather to serve and worship him. It's the promise of God's kingdom. No more misuse of power by anyone there. One commentator puts it this way. This imagery of Isaiah's vision speaks of a dramatic change in human nature where the aggressiveness and cruelty that are so much a part of us will be forever changed. And I'm not going to let you slip out of this. You, you know the aggressiveness and cruelty of which I speak. As self-controlled as you might be, as spiritually sensitive as you might be, as all looking put together on the outside as you might be, as meek and mild as you might come off to your friends and and loved ones, you know what I'm talking about. It's in your heart. I know it's in your heart because I know it's in my heart. This is the human condition. There's an aggressiveness and cruelty in there, and we need to be saved from it and we can't fix it ourselves. If he, Jesus, really is like Isaiah foresaw, practical, effective wisdom for every day, power over all the power of the enemy, Lord of the beautiful and blessed future he holds in store for us, what fresh commitments we should make to live close and stay near him. What a beautiful truth. We're broken people and we need Jesus. And we can have assurance in Jesus despite our brokenness. Remember, God said, nevertheless, the people living in darkness will see a great light. No more gloom for them. There's this already not yet aspect of God's kingdom. You know, the fullness of what Isaiah showed us has has not come. It has been inaugurated. It has begun in our world. Jesus did that, but it hasn't yet fully come. So, 
we can have assurance in the reality that God's kingdom has already come, has begun. You know, the Holy Spirit is available to us now and and is working out change in us, stretching us, growing us, causing faith to form in us, guiding us actively, making us more like Jesus every day. We can have assurance that God is up to something good in our lives right now. And our calling is to cooperate with that and not resist it. And we can have assurance in the reality that God's kingdom will come in its fullness someday. Just as the Messiah was promised long ago and arrived at that first Christmas, God has promised that Jesus will return. And when he returns, God's kingdom will fully come. And Isaiah's vision will become reality. For real. Like all cruel aggression, gone. Justice, a reality for everyone, everywhere. And King Jesus, reigning forever, righteous and faithful. Julian of Norwich summarized this assurance we have in the promise of God's kingdom. All shall be well, and all manner of thing shall be well. And thanks be to God for that. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Pray with me, please. Lord, we are thankful for your goodness to us. We are so very thankful that in the depth of our darkness, at that moment when we were most offensive to you, you came to us. You moved into our neighborhood. You came in person in Jesus. And you showed us how to live. You gave us a life worth imitating. And ultimately, you gave us that life on the cross. While we were still in our sins, you died for us. God, the, the, the goodness and grace of the gospel is overwhelming to us. Please, by your spirit, make us more like you. We love you, Lord Jesus. Thank you for your goodness. Pour out your spirit on us that we might live now in the assurance that you intend. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.